Am I the only one who gets winded trying to sing that song? <laughs> I could come in on You Are at the very end, and even then I felt like I just ran a marathon in order to get there. Man, what a sweet, wonderful time of worship this morning. So the word that we start with today is rewire. Now, that concept is important for this morning as well as the focus of our new message series. When rewire is used talking about our thought life, it is defined as making lasting and usually beneficial changes to the neurological or psychological functioning of a person or a brain. And that sounds really long. So we're going to shorten that for our purposes. I am praying that this series will make lasting and beneficial changes in our brains. I am praying that God grabs our thought life. I'm praying that God helps us understand what it looks like to think with the mind of Christ, to function with the mind of Christ, to process with the mind of Christ, to speak from the mind of Christ. I'm praying that God is going to help us in this series rethink how we're thinking. So let me kind of set things up as to why we're addressing this particular topic at this time. I don't believe this is in your notes, but just a couple of concepts that I was working through prior to getting ready for this message. Uh, one of those is our minds are bombarded. Here's what I mean by that. Just this last week, digital marketing experts released an article stating that the average American sees between 6,000 and 10,000 ads each day. Let that sink in, 6,000 to 10,000 ads daily. Billboards, TV, internet, social media, magazines, digital banners, notification apps, you name it, everybody wants your attention. Everybody wants you to buy their product. Everyone wants to plant their idea, their agenda in your brain. Your minds are being bombarded. Also, our minds are burdened. A study released by the National Science Foundation found that people have between 12,000 and 60,000 thoughts every day. Now, if you're like me, I was a little surprised there was that much thinking going on in our world. <laughs> Until I got to the second part of that study. In the study, they found of those 12,000 to 60,000 thoughts, get this, 80% are negative. 95% were repeated thoughts from yesterday. In other words, we are looping negativity in our minds. And if you're wondering whether or not that has actually been called on to by others in marketing and media, watch the evening news, and here's what you'll find. It is looping negativity. So another study by Cornell University found that 85% of the things we worry about, the things we're concerned about, based on the last study, 85% of what we are worried about never actually happens. Of the 15% that does happen, 79% of those it happened to said, I handled it better than I thought, and it taught me lessons that were valuable for me to learn. To which they came to this conclusion at the end of their study. 97% of our worries are baseless and result in unfounded pessimism. 
What a strong piece to think about. So there's something else. Our minds are embattled. 1965, Donald Barnhouse wrote a book called The Invisible War. And it describes this unrelenting battle that is happening for your mind. It, it echoes what Scripture teaches that Satan blinds, here it is, the minds of the unbelieving, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that he attempts to deceive the world through lies. It impacts your mind, Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. It, it says in John chapter 10 that he is out to steal and to kill and to destroy. It is through unbiblical worldviews like materialism or hedonism, secularism, relativism, atheism, Marxism, and any number of other types of worldviews. There is a constant assault that is happening against our minds. Now, this assault comes in so many different ways. But here's a few ways that it happens. He twists perceptions, causes division, stirs fear fuels guilt, and creates insecurity. And Christians are not immune from those things. That same attack comes against believers and unbelievers alike. Our, our minds are constantly being bombarded and burdened in in battle. That is happening moment by moment, day by day, 365 days out of the year. That's life. But... Add in what's happened in the last two years, and all of those metrics shot through the roof. Through COVID concerns, national elections, civil unrest, major swings in the stock market, job loss, people being more isolated than they've ever been before, and everything that I just mentioned went into hyperdrive. Listen to these. The percentage of adults reporting, that's a key word, reporting struggles with anxiety and depression was at 11% in June of 2019. It was 41% January of 2021. From 11% to 41%. In a matter of six days, from June the 24th through June the 30th of 2020, almost 41% of U.S. adults 18 and older reported having some adverse mental or behavioral concern. 10.7% seriously considered suicide. 13% started and or increased the use of substances to deal with stress. In fact, I had Stephanie look into these stats. I've been in counseling for 22 years or so. I had her look into some of these stats because all of my metrics that I had prior to two years ago no longer apply at this point. Every one of those issues, it got brought to the forefront and highlighted in a huge way. Here's what I want you to see. The enemy is after your kids and your grandkids. The enemy's after your neighbors, your family, your coworkers. Hey, the enemy is after you. And he plays dirty. He will lie to you. He will isolate you. He will bring up everything you've done wrong in your past and put it on a loop in your mind. He will point out every imperfection that's happening in your life right now. He will show you every place that things are inconsistent. He will amplify 
the failures of your life, to keep it on repeat in your mind. And there's a reason behind that. Here's what the reason is. If the enemy can cause you to sit long enough by yourself and think through things. If the enemy can cause these loops to keep playing in your mind, you're not thinking with the mind of Christ at that moment. You're thinking according to the flesh. You're thinking according to your old life in Adam. As believers, the Bible says we have the mind of Christ. The question becomes, are we using it? Are we thinking with that mind? Are we operating according to that mind? There is a battle that is being waged against people, and much of that battle is happening in your mind. Here's a quote. I've used it for years. Your actions will follow the path your mind has already taken. Everything that you're doing is following a path. Now, you might think, Paul, that's a lot of really bad news for the first message of a brand new series. And you're right, that's a lot of bad news. But praise the Lord, we're in church, we have the gospel, and there's good news, amen? Amen. Okay, so here's the good news. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 2.16, but we have the mind of Christ. Our minds have been redeemed. Christians have been given a new mind, and we are called to think in a new way. Learning to think this way requires us to renew our minds, Romans chapter 2, to prepare our minds, 1 Peter chapter 1, to set our minds on things above, Colossians chapter 3, and to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. But here's the issue. None of that comes naturally to us. All of that is what you're having to learn. It's a mind game. From the moment you place faith in Jesus Christ and he changes your character and he gives you a new nature and he calls you to live by a new standard, now it's an issue of how do you mentally begin to walk out the life that he has now called you to. Is it possible for us to really think with the mind of Christ? Is it possible for us to process all of life? And I I do mean all of life. The good, the bad, the ups, the downs, what you see on the news, what happened at work, what's taking place in your family, what's hidden in your heart that nobody but you and God knows about. Is it possible to process all of those things through a biblical lens? What does it look like to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ? Those are the types of of answers we're looking for and processing in this particular series. Now, I could preach a month of Sundays on all the ways that the enemy is attacking our minds, but I don't think you all want to be here for a month of Sundays. Amen? Now, somebody told me my battery pack has five hours worth of charge on it, just in case things get all freed up in here. So just know we can go for a while. We could talk about any number of ways the enemy is attacking minds, but I wanted to focus on three of the most common issues we face. Stress, worry, and depression. The same time, I want us to go through and see what does the Bible teach us about living with the mind of Christ? How can we have peace regardless of our circumstances? How can we renew our minds? What does that actually look like to renew your minds in the truths of God's word? At the same time, what does it look like to take every thought captive? We've got a lot to cover this morning. So I invite you to go with me in your Bibles at this time. Psalm chapter 61. 
Psalm chapter 61. We will be primarily in verse number 2. I'm speaking this morning on a biblical understanding of stress. And you're going to hear in just a few moments why I'm starting with stress. But I, I want to encourage you as you're finding your place in the text, be with us on each of these different messages. And this is a great time to invite others to come with you. What we're talking about here, these are universal issues that every person faces. But we need to understand how the Word of God applies to the issues we face every single day. So here's what the text says, verse number 2. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you. And God, we are asking at this time that you would allow the truths of your word to sink deep into our hearts. God, we need you to do what only you can do. By your spirit, by your word, God, change how we think about what we think about. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want everybody to be really, really honest. This is going to be like one big massive counseling session for just a few moments. All right, can everybody be honest? We are in church. If there's a place to be honest, this is pretty much it. So uh, by show of hands, and, and when you lift your hand, I want you to keep your hand up for just a moment until I finish all of them. See if you can identify with at least one or more of these statements. By show of hands, how many of you at least occasionally struggle with how you handle stress? Let me see your hand. All right, keep them up, keep them up, keep them up. All right. How many of you at least occasionally wrestle with worry or anxious thoughts? Some of you got another hand going up. That's okay. You can put both of them up. All right. Keep them up. How many of you at least occasionally struggle with discouragement, if not depression? Okay. Look around you for just a moment. Look around. You are not alone. Put your hands down. Now, here's the reason I wanted to do that. Number one, there's a saying in counseling, you're only as sick as your secrets. Now, sometimes that's a little bit overly simplified. But here's what I do know. People who are willing to be honest about the struggles of their life will often find the help that they need. It's good to be honest. It's good to share with brothers and sisters in Christ. Like, this is something that I've been working through. This is something I'm battling through. So one thing is, I want people to understand that being honest and sharing what's going on, that's a good thing. The second piece, reason why I've done this, is because the enemy wants you to think that you are the only one struggling with that issue. All those other Christians who go to church with you, they couldn't be struggling with the same things. I mean, they're mature. They've been walking with Jesus longer than what I've been walking with Jesus. And surely they're beyond that. I should be beyond this. So what happens is people hold that stuff in. They think it's only me, and here's what the enemy will do. The enemy not only makes you want to think it's only you, he will isolate you into thinking it's only you. And then after you get off to the side and you're isolated a little bit with your thoughts and they're playing on repeat in your mind, he will beat you down with those same things. The same areas where the Word of God says we have the mind of Christ. There's freedom in Christ. The gospel sets us free. We say that. We sing that. We pray that. 
But when we're in private, we act as though those truths do not exist. If he can keep people quiet and isolated and struggling and stressed out, we will be no threat to his agenda around the world. But things change when they get brought into the light. So we're starting with stress because stress in many ways is like ground zero for so many other issues people battle. That is our inability sometimes to deal with stress will often manifest itself in worry, anxiety, depression, addiction, sleeplessness, health problems. You, you name it, the list could go on and on. Everyone deals with stress. And here's a very simple definition of it. Because you might be saying, well, you know what, I've got, I've got some days, sometimes it's a little bit harder than others. Here's a very simple definition of stress. Stress is a normal human reaction to changes and challenges. It is a normal human reaction to changes and challenges. Think about what stresses you out. When you've got your plan set for the day, and all of a sudden somebody doesn't show up, or something happens and it changes your schedule, all of a sudden the stress begins to rise. At least it does for me. Hey, I don't know if you all have known this or not. I'm one of those types of people, I like to plan out every moment of my day. And I like to check it off a list. You all know how hard it is for a man who likes to check things off of his list to operate in a world where people don't want to stay on my list. I'm just like, I just want to check this off. Get it together, people. Get it together out there. Listen, there's changes that happen, and when changes come, it brings stress. Here's challenges. When you find challenges, challenges to your finances, challenges to your ability, challenges to your mindset, challenges to your authority, challenges to your family. What happens? Stress begins to arise in that person. Simply put, things don't always happen when we want. People are going to disappoint us. Finances are going to get tight. Sickness and disease, they're a part of the human experience. So avoiding stress is wishful thinking. Reducing stress, it is possible, but there's always going to be things outside of our control. So if we can't avoid it completely and we can't reduce it entirely, then is there a way that somehow we can turn this in a redemptive manner so that God uses it for our good and for his glory. Is there a way, watch out, to embrace the stress that God's bringing? Because you see what God's doing through it. That's where Psalm chapter 61 verse 2 fits in. Years ago, I memorized this from the King James Version of the Bible. And man, I love that version for this verse. I want you to listen to it again. From the end of the earth... I will cry unto thee. Instead of call, I will cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Psalm 61 is David's prayer for himself. The prayer has two main parts. There is a cry for help, verses 1 through 5, and there is a desire for blessing, verses 6 through 8. The circumstances that led to this prayer were attacks against David by his enemies. 
So in verse number two, it says, from the end of the earth, I will cry unto thee. All right, everybody look this way. Have you ever had those moments where it seems like God is really distant from you? Like you're walking through some stuff and it's hard and it seems like you're in the trenches and God is distant. He's light years away and you almost feel embarrassed to even bring your problems because you recognize that God is handling things and caring for things from planetary alignment to baby porcupines. And so when you have your issues and you bring it before God, it's almost like, God, I'm sorry because I know you've got all these other things, but this is killing me. It seems like you're distant. Through poetic language, here's what David is saying. I'm at one end of the earth, and God, you're way over there. He said, from the end of the earth, I cry unto thee. God, you feel distant from where I am. That, that same phrase is also translated metaphorically for distress. It described a feeling of death that was imminent because our circumstances had now taken us to our end. So in our vernacular today, here's what that would be. Somebody would say, I am at my wit's end. I feel like I'm about to die. That's the sentiment that he is sharing in this text. This phrase, he goes on and he says, when my heart is overwhelmed, literally it's translated covered over with darkness or distressed. There's that word, stressed, stressed out. He says, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. He's saying, God, you feel distant. I feel like I'm walking in darkness right now. God, I'm overwhelmed. I'm stressed out. I'm worn down, and the only thing I know to do is to call out to you and say, would you lead me to the rock that's higher than I? Oh, and that, that phrase, it's also translated, the rock that is too high for me. This is good. David is expressing in this particular verse that the very help he needs is outside of his reach. He's like, God, I can't get there. I'm worn out. I'm stressed out. I'm overwhelmed. And maybe it's just my feelings, but I feel like I'm at my wit's end. I feel like I'm about to die. It seems like you're way over there, and I'm over here. God, all I can say is, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. So what's the rock? The most reasonable interpretation is the rock is God himself. I would say that because of chapter 62, verse 2, verse 6, verse 7. In the same breath, he connects his pursuit of the rock with all of the attributes of what God has been for him. So look at what it says in verse number 3 and following. You have been a refuge for me. He's speaking to God. A tower of strength against the enemy. Verse 4. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge in the shelter of your wings. Verse 6, you will prolong the king's life. Verse 8, I will praise your name forever. Put all of this together now. From the end of the earth, I will cry unto thee. God, you seem distant, and I'm at my wit's end. I feel like I'm going to die. When my heart is overwhelmed, when I feel distressed, when I feel worn down, when I am stressed out, 
it feels like darkness is setting in around me. When that happens, he says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Oh, God, lead me to yourself. I need you to do for me what I cannot do for myself. I don't have the strength. I don't have the ability. I don't have the wisdom. I don't even know how to pray at this moment. God, would you lead me to yourself? And listen, God, I know you can do it because you've done it for me before. That's what he goes into in the next one. He says, you have been my shelter. You have been my strength. You have been these things for me. When I poured out my heart, in fact, in fact, he even says, you have prolonged my life. He says, I've been here before. But now notice this. He also says in verse number seven, he's like, God, let me abide in that place forever. God, let me, let me stay in your presence forever. Verse 8, I will sing your praises. Psalm 61 could be one of the most beautiful, heartfelt cries that you're going to find anywhere in the Bible. By the way, you don't pray like that unless you've spent a lot of time on your knees. You don't even know what to ask for. You, you need to be reminded of what he has been for you and what he has done for you. So sharing all of that, this next statement might almost sound backwards. This is the point in which we start reframing how we think. Here's my statement. When viewed biblically, stress is often a good gift from God. Let it set in for a moment. When viewed biblically, stress is often a good gift from God. Did you know that there are certain truths that are in your Bible that are activated in stressful situations? Here's one of my favorites, Romans 8.28. And we know that God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Did you know I have never heard somebody quote that verse to me when things were going well? I mean, that, that's, that's one of those passages you bring out when the bottom fell out. That's one of those ones where when somebody's saying, I don't know what we do at this point, that's when you slide next to him and say, you know what? God works it all together for good. But here's the thing. Do we really believe he works it all together for good? Because if we believe that, then that means all things includes what you're going through right now. That means that what he's doing in your life right now, he is working it together for good. Do we truly believe that? There is nothing that has hit your life that has not been sifted through the loving and wise hands of your heavenly father. Here's another one of those verses, 2 Corinthians 4, 17. By the way, Paul's in prison when he writes this. For this momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. God tells us the things that we're going through. In fact, the things that bring us to our wit's end are producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. That sounds good to me. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. 
Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So James tells us that we should have a level of joy that comes with trials. And it's, it's not joy because of pain. It's joy because of what the process is going to produce. On the other side of this process, it's going to be that God is going to build your faith and he's going to develop your endurance and he's going to let those circumstances be circumstances that bring you to a place of completion and perfection, lacking nothing. So let me go back to my statement again. When viewed biblically, stress is often a good gift from God. Now let me also say, when you're stressed, it doesn't feel like a gift. Some of you are like, Lord, I'd like to give my gift back for a little while. In fact, I've heard I'm supposed to be a giver. I'd like to give my gift to somebody else at this moment. I understand when, when you're in the throes of it, it's hard to see it as a gift. That's why God has to capture your thoughts in that moment. Because if you let the enemy loot the negativity, you're not going to capture those thoughts in the moment. So I'm going to finish with some practical ways this is lived out. How it is that God uses those stressful moments as a way to not only bring good for us, but glory back to him. So one of those is God uses stress to, as a signal to get our attention. God created our physical bodies. And when needs are not being met or when something is wrong, God created the body to signal us in certain ways. So, for example, when we need to eat, the body will signal us with hunger pangs. If we get thirsty, the body will signal us with a desire for something to drink. If, if we hurt ourselves, if we burn ourselves, if we break a bone, if you pull a muscle, if you do any of those things, the body will signal you with pain. It's to let you know something is not right. Something is dangerous in this moment. In the same way, when things are out of balance in our lives, when our current path is not conducive to emotional and spiritual health, when our focus is off, God will often allow stress to send out signals to get our attention. Something's not right. Something is out of balance. Something is off path. And in that case, that can be a benefit to us. Otherwise, you just keep moving as though nothing is wrong and you face harder consequences on the other side. Here's another way that God practically uses this. God uses stress to help us define and or rediscover our priorities. Now, I know that what I'm about to say is not very popular, but since I've shared a lot of that already today, this is not going to be anything indifferent. Okay, so here's my unpopular statement for this morning. We cannot do everything. There's only so much time in a day. There's only so much energy in a body. There's only so many resources. There's only so much that a person can do. So what happens is we have to learn to prioritize. We have to look and say, what's the most important? And for the believer, we recognize 
that our walk with God, our relationship with God has to remain that central, most important piece in our life. But scripture also tells us about other priorities, tells us about the kingdom of God, tells us about the importance of our spouse and the importance of being with our children, the importance of biblical community, the importance of providing for our family. Like there's other pieces that help set priorities in our life. But the natural demands of life bring distractions, and they can make us lose sight of those priorities. We replace fellowship with entertainment, giving with buying, family time with crowded schedules, his kingdom with our kingdom. Before you know it, we find ourselves in a place where we don't have enough time to do everything that we're wanting to do. There's not enough resources to do what we want and what God's prompting us to do. There's not enough time in the day. So what happens is we now have to reprioritize or we have to prioritize for the first time. Stress is one of those great things to let you know something could be out of balance in your life. Here's the next one. God uses stress to develop intimacy with him. To the Old Testament, we read phrases like, but in their distress, they turned to the Lord the God of Israel, and sought him, and he was found by them. Second Chronicles 15, 4. Jonah chapter 2, verse 2. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. David said in Psalm 18, verse 6, In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. Notice the number of times distress led to prayer, led people back into the presence of God. When everything is going well in our lives, when everybody in your family is healthy, everybody had eight hours of sleep last night, bills are paid, here's what happens. In those moments, we can think intimacy with God is optional. It's never optional. So here's what happens when we're outside of his presence, when we're pursuing other things, when we're trying to do it ourselves, God allows us, listen, to do it yourself for a while. And all of a sudden you find out he was the one carrying you before when you didn't know he was carrying you. He's the one giving you peace of mind. He was the one giving you wisdom. He was the one that was helping you make the right decisions. He was the one that was helping you lead your family well. And all it takes is a little bit of out of balance, a little bit of stress, and all of a sudden you're back before the Lord and you're like, God, I messed up again. But you know what? We serve a gracious and a loving Heavenly Father. He takes you back. He's like, come back, child. Come back. Sit with me. Let's talk through what just happened in this moment. It is amazing how much God uses stress to develop intimacy in our lives. Had you not gone through what you went through, you would not know what you know today about God. It's the part of the process. Here's the last one. God uses stress to deepen our trust in him. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, it says, You have been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ Jesus. 
stress can refine our faith and result in praise. I say it can because it all depends on how you walk through it. It depends on the process in that moment. So here's a good statement worth remembering. We don't always see things as they are. We tend to see things as we are. Here's a great way to think of it. Have you ever blown something out of proportion that really wasn't that big? You know what happened to that moment? It wasn't that the issue was that big. It was you were in a bad place when it came. You didn't accurately see the situation as it was. You saw it as you were in that moment. So here's why that's important. We need God to process for us. Help us to understand what is true, what is right, what is wrong, what is reality. What's my overreaction to this? We need God to not only walk us through the stressful times, but to stretch our faith so that we continue to grow and to move forward with God. Without the trials, the seemingly unreasonable demands placed upon our faith, our faith would never grow. Faith needs to be stretched. When you pray for God to deepen your faith, you are praying for God to stretch your faith. Now, here's my next question. How do you think he does that? <laughs> this is just me for a moment. This is just me. I don't know if my faith has ever been stretched by the book I read or by the song I just sang. Sometimes I was inspired it stretched my knowledge. It stretched my understanding. But most of the time, the things that stretch my faith are the same things that stress me out. It's, it's the budget gaps. It's the constant demands. It's the issues that are going after me. It's those moments that it stretches my faith and it brings me back into a place of dependence before God. How will we ever know if God's grace is sufficient if we never actually come to the end of ourselves. How can we truly say that God can make a way where there is no way when we've been able to open every door in front of us to this point? The faith you want is on the other side of the stress you have. Let God work the process through you. Now, as we close, let me try to clearly say what I am not saying. I am not saying you need to look for more stress to be really spiritual. <laughs> stress will find you, okay? I am not saying that you don't need to take steps to reduce stress in your life. There's sometimes our stress could be greatly reduced if we got to bed on time, ate what we were supposed to eat, and get some exercise in. There's, by the way, it also is greatly reduced when you spend time with God alone in prayer and in the Word. I'm not saying we don't try to go through and reduce some of that. I'm also not saying that we need to live in a constantly stressed out state. The Bible talks about rest and peace and Sabbath. Here's my big concept, though, and here's where we close. When you're stressed out, considered a sweet invitation from God to sit down and talk a while. Reframe it. When you're stressed out, consider it a sweet invitation from God to sit down and talk a while.
when we're in those difficult moments is when our first response is to run and try to do it ourselves, which is often why we were in those difficult moments. How will we know what to do unless we first sit with God? How will we know how to process unless he leads? When you're stressed out, consider it a sweet invitation from God to sit down and talk a while. I'm going to ask you if you would, just bow your heads where you are for just a moment. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Our pastors are going to be coming towards the front. The band is going to take their place on stage. But I want to try, as we're closing out the service, to process some of these things with you based on where you might be right now. It may be that God is extending this invitation to you. You might be going through some unbelievably stressful things. I want to encourage you today, sit down and talk with God for a while. You might be at a place where your stress has shown you that you can't do it yourself. And it's been something that God has been using to bring you to the end of yourself so that you would be willing to place faith in him and allow him to live his life in and through you. If that's the case, I want to encourage you, come talk to one of these pastors. It might be today that you've been going through some things that you feel like only God knows about, but you feel like you're about to bust. You feel like if I don't share it with someone, that I don't know what my next step is going to be. It might be you just need some guidance. Just a moment, not only do we have pastors at the end of the aisles, but there's also some lady counselors who, if you would like to speak with a lady, if you're a lady and you want to talk to another lady, we want to encourage you to talk today. The key here is don't just keep pushing things down. There's a way to walk through it redemptively. So whatever God might be prompting in your life, I'm going to encourage you to take that next step with him. Heavenly Father, today in the name of Jesus, we ask, Lord, that you would allow our hearts and our minds to so be overwhelmed by you in this moment that we're not worried about what everybody else is doing or saying or thinking, but God, we know we need the relief that can only come when we're led to the rock that is higher than us. So God, I'm praying that you set some people free today. I'm praying that you reframe how we think about what we think about. I'm praying today, God, that there's going to be some judgment day clarity that we have, that we cannot do it ourselves, but we are wholly dependent upon you. God, would you do a work in the hearts of people as you see fit? God will be grateful for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing? The altar is open.